I want to jump right into this, the law of faith. This sermon has been a long time coming, by the way. Uh, this is something that goes back many, many years, and uh, I feel like it's a culmination of many points we're going to go through. Anyway, let's, let's jump into this. At Matthew 17, verse 14 through 21, Ryland, could you bring that up? We're going to read through this story. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, Jesus, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he's an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. They couldn't get the job done. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to them, you bunch of faithless perverts generation. I mean, he was laying into them. Faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long shall I bear to be with you? How long am I going to put up with you guys? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, came out of him. The child was cured from that very hour. Verse 19, then the disciples came to Jesus privately. Too prideful to do it in front of everybody else. You know, their tails were tucked between their legs. They're like, uh, Jesus, how come I couldn't, we couldn't do that? It's, it's baffling me. We've all been there, right? Jesus, you said that I could do this, and I tried it, and it didn't work. How come? All right? So verse 20, so Jesus said to them, well... If you pray and nothing happens, that just means that it must not have been the will of God. Right? Is that what he said? What he said, he said, it's because of your unbelief. Listen, can we talk? All right, I'm not going to spare your feelings here. It's because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, assuredly, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. We're going to talk about a little thing called the law of faith. Now, I grew up in Christianity, and I believed that everything that happened was exactly the first version of Jesus that, uh, that I brought up there. When you pray and nothing happens, that just means it must not have been the will. It must have been God's will for that little boy to be demon-possessed. God and his infinite wisdom, it's just randomality and chance and who really knows, but somewhere along the line, if we beg God enough, if we pull his arm, twist his arm enough, God might relent and pull a miracle out of his pocket and bless you with something. Okay? Now, we're talking about Karis University, about Andrew Womack. Uh, I would highly recommend that if you don't even know who Andrew Womack is, uh, look up some YouTube, look up some videos. I know he preaches that sermon called 
you've already got it. You've, it's already yours. You've already got it. Okay. It's not how God works to have a whole bunch of people form a prayer chain and, and twist God's arm into doing something. It's already yours. Okay. Now this is something that it's, it's higher levels of understanding. All right. I'm not talking to immature people here in their faith. Uh, because if that was the case, I would, I would coddle you and say, well, you know what? Um, don't take it so hard. Uh, if you pray and God doesn't answer your prayers, it just means, you know, uh, it don't, don't take it too hard because, uh, you know, sometimes I, I don't want that person to turn away. You know what I mean? I, I've watched people walk away. Well, I prayed for the person. Nothing happened. God must not be real. They walk away. Okay, this is for mature people. This is for people, it's a little bit more hard hitting because we don't walk by manifestation. We walk by faith. And let's go ahead and ask that question. What happens when I pray the prayer and nothing happens? When the person doesn't get raised from the dead, okay? When the healing doesn't take place, all right? What happens? Let's ask that question. Those are tough questions. But we've got to see we're, we're mature and we see beyond that that there's a bigger picture that in Hebrews chapter 11, you know, I, I'm glad that the Bible <laughs> tells the whole story. It doesn't just tell the triumphs. The Bible is a perfect book and it tells all of the imperfections. It doesn't just give the triumphs and the testimonies. We think it's all about the testimonies about when we've arrived, my miracle. Nobody gets up and gives a testimony about how, well, I prayed and I stepped out for God and I ended up getting put in jail for it. <laughs> or I ended up, you know, I prayed and, and I believed God and I never saw the miracle come about. You know, Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, that whole list of people, Moses, David, Samson, all of these great men and women of God who accomplished so much for the Lord. It goes on down the list and you realize they're called the, the hall of faith, the great heroes of faith. And you realize not one of those people received what they believed God for. Not one of them in this life. They all died. They all went to the grave without seeing the fulfillment of God's promise. That tells me that to the mature, there's, you've got to understand that there's a bigger picture going on here, okay? That it's not just about this life. That the, the manifestation is not what the miracle is all about. That one of the biggest uh, things that you might need to go through is Trusting God in spite of all that, in spite of the fact that you may never see his promise come about in this life. But we're mature. Amen. There's something bigger going on there. So praise the Lord. I'm talking about something that... Uh, I believe it was seven or eight years ago when God revealed this to me. 
And I was at a point in my life where I was thinking, you know, God, if this is true, if this is real, then how come I haven't heard a whole lot of preaching about it or teaching about it? And, uh, you know, God came to a point with me where he was saying, uh, the word of God, there's so much in the word of God that's never been preached on before. Okay. We want to just stick with the word. Well, just stick with the word, brother. I only want to hear the word, only preach the word. This Bible, this book has so much in it that you've never even heard of. Okay. You say, just stick to the word. That's, that's a really broad spectrum there because there's so much power in this that doesn't even, we don't even scratch the surface. Okay. Great men and women of God have come down and they've tried to preach the word of God to us and open up our eyes to it. And they've only scratched the surface. So don't be surprised as you graduate from milk into meat and God begins to download things to you directly that you see things that you're like, wow, this is in the Bible. God, you're putting this on my heart to bring this word out to people. And I, I can't even name anybody that's really ever taught about this before. You know? Maybe Kenneth Hagin, maybe Andrew Walman, maybe some of those guys have just scratched the surface on it. But God needs your voice. God's show this this book is far too vast of revelation to be any one voice to share. He needs your voice. He needs your heart open to revelation to share it with him. Amen. So this is something that uh, God began to move in me. And when I go back to this point, I, I want to tell a story. You know what, Lizzie? I didn't even get your permission before sharing this story, but it's a story about Lizzie. And I'm going to try and do my best to share it without embarrassing her. But this is a story about me first getting a hold of the law of faith. And uh, I'm trying to put a date on it. I want to go back eight years. I'm thinking eight or nine years. Because it was before, it was back when we lived in Wisconsin. So it has to be at least seven or eight years. And uh, I began to share with her, honey, you know, God is blowing my mind, opening up this revelation to me of what's happening and, you know, what the law of faith is and how it's so much more than just what I've grown up believing that it's just, it's just circumstance and chance. And, and God might, if we pray hard enough, he might relent and give a miracle. But other than that, there's, you don't really know about it, but no, it all has, it all has a meaning. It all has a purpose. And we're the ones we need to watch our words because our attitudes, our beliefs, our emotions, our feelings, it all plays out in reality. What we know of as reality and uh, she had, she was a wedding planner at the time. She had this wedding that was really rough. And it was uh, this wedding that was all the way over in Milwaukee and was on an island. And when you're a wedding planner, you've got to have a thing called a plan B if it's an outdoor wedding. If it's an outdoor wedding, you have to have a plan B. If it's rain on that day, then you move it inside to the tent to the plan B. <laughs> And this wedding did not have that, didn't have a plan B. And she was sitting there. I remember her just saying time and time again, I dread this, Robert. I dread it. I am so fearful about it. And I said to her, honey, you know, the Lord's been showing me some stuff. I think that we should, you know, that your words have power and you keep on saying, I dread it. And I wonder if that, you know, it's, it's going to do something. She, we had this disagreement. She was like, 
No, I mean, a good attitude, sure, that helps a little bit. Helps a little bit. It helps as in, you know, the, the it'll help your disposition and people will like you more, but it doesn't affect reality. It doesn't, my attitude doesn't affect whether it's going to rain or not on that day. Okay? And I was like, no, I think it kind of does, actually. And what the Lord has been showing me is, yeah, it has that power. It has that, the whole universe, okay? It's at that level of power. What you believe, what you speak, the attitudes, what you feel. I know I thought it was all happenstance before. But I really genuinely believe that God is showing me that in his word, that that's what's going on. God was opening up my eyes and she was like, well, now you're starting to sound new age, Robert. <laughs> that's new agey stuff. And I was like, well, yes, maybe new age people have picked up on it. And my goodness, the church, it, what does that say about when there's laws of the universe that people outside of the church have picked up on without us picking up on those same laws? We poo-hoo them. We call them metaphors. They're not really real. Or we think that they're the ones we think, oh, we don't want to bring that into the church. No, you're not bringing that into the church. It was already in the Bible. If there's any truth, if there's anything that has power... It was already in the Bible. It's them that stole it from us. So please don't be deceived about that. In fact, I believe that that's where every false religion came from. Is that this law of the spirit had some guru somewhere that mastered it and learned how to manifest and gained a following. But it's been in here all along, and it's exactly what Jesus taught all along. And it's exactly what we should be teaching and walking in this. It's called the law of faith. So lo and behold, let me finish the story. Liz gets back from that wedding, travels to Milwaukee, comes back. And this was her conversion moment, I think it was, because she walks in and she goes, Robert, you know, she spent six months just saying, I dread this, speaking over it, fear, saying it's going to go, something's going to go wrong. I just know it. Got to watch out, honey. That has power. No, it can't affect the actual weather. Okay, come on. No, she, she comes up, she comes home, flustered, sits down. She goes, you wouldn't believe it, Robert. The wedding starts at four o'clock. It ends at six. Five minutes before four o'clock, those clouds come rolling in, the wind starts blowing, the rain sideways. It messed everything up, exactly what I feared. 6.05, after the wedding ends, they're all gone. You know, it's, it's just out there, and it's nothing but sunshine and, and happiness all around after that point. And she goes, and everything I feared exactly like that, it happened. It worked out exactly like that. And I said, well, we're, we're going to take a different approach next time. Amen. And, uh, you know, we've been both growing together in this area ever since then. And it's been amazing. Let me tell you, that was, I remember later on that year, we began to walk this out. Later on that year, my income literally doubled, literally doubled. 
okay, we got into the house that we're in now. There's all these different things that I could say, praise God. There's things that happen when you realize this. There's an intentionality that you have to realize, okay? And so I want to jump into that. Um, I want to jump into that teaching real hardcore here. We're just going to go right into it. So Ryland, can you skip the next set of scriptures in Genesis 2? Let's go all the way to Mark 11. There we go. Mark 11, 22. Let's read through all of this. So Jesus answered and said unto them, have faith in God. That's what your translation says. We'll talk about that later. Verse 23, for assuredly, I say unto you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, verse 24, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, first off, let's go to the next slide there, Rylan. Mark eleven twenty two, 22, a little bit of backdrop for this story. Jesus was walking along. This was in the later parts of Jesus's ministry. This was about a week before he went to the cross. So the disciples had been following him for a very long time. He's walking on his way to Jerusalem. He's about to go turn the tables in the temple, actually. It's pretty awesome. And on his way to Jerusalem, he sees a tree. He's hungry. He sees a tree from afar. He goes up to get some figs from it. He sees that there's no figs. He curses it. May no man ever eat from you again. Continues on. On the way back the disciples see that the tree is shriveled up and died. Okay. That's what Jesus says. They, they marveled at this. The disciples, they were blown away. What? Are you kidding me? And Jesus stops and he goes, uh, just hold on, guys. You shouldn't be so blown away by this. He tells them, have the faith of God. Now, your, your translation says, Has, have faith in God but that's a mistranslation here. What the actual Greek words say is eshit pistin theau, which means have faith God. Now, the translation into English, if you were to translate it literally, it would be improper English because there needs to be a preposition in there for it to be proper English. But really, what it's saying is faith is a descriptive. The genitive uh, tense of faith means that it's closely tied to the God, the theao word, the accusative, which means, hey, this is a group, lump it together. What that essentially means is that faith and God are are two of the same words. They, they, They are connected together. So what the... Real translation should be is have the faith of God or have God's faith. Switch the two words around and put a possessive form of it. God's faith. 
or it could be have the God kind of faith. But essentially what he's saying is have faith that is God's. You understand? Now you might be thinking to yourself, why does God, why does God need faith? Well, faith by faith, Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything through faith, through his desire. So that's what Jesus was saying. He was inviting his disciples. This is more of a command. Hey, have God's faith. That same creative faith, you need to have it. For verily I say unto you, that means if you don't get anything else, get this. I'm telling you the truth. Whosoever says to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says, it will be done and he'll have whatever it says. Therefore, I say to you, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive and you shall have them. Now, let's stop right here. Charles Caps put it this way. God said, you could have what you say, but too many Christians are instead saying what they have. They're looking at the situation and they're speaking what they have. Well, I've got cancer. Well, I've got, uh, you know, there's, there's something in my, think about something you don't want in your life and you're speaking it instead of, you know, Jesus is essentially saying you have power. You have power. If you could control what you believe, the whole universe is, is in the palm of your hand. You could literally tell a mountain to be thrown into the sea and it will obey you. If you could control what you believe, that's easier said than done. It's very hard to do. And this is where the poo-hooing comes in. You know, oh, that's impossible. You can't believe something like that. First off, I want to point this out. There's an intentionality here. Okay. You see the situation. You don't like the situation. Instead of accepting it, you have to intentionally say, I want to go a different direction. And you have to recognize I have the power to go that different direction. So it's an intentionality. You have to want something different. You have to look at the mountain and say, I don't want that there. I want you over there. So there's intentionality. Second of all, People have understood this throughout the ages. A lot of different religions they called it things like karma. They've called it things like the yin and the yang, or they've called it things like the law of attraction, manifestation. They've called it all these different words. And by the way, this is not something that just applies to Christians. Let's get into that a little bit here, okay? Uh, they've called it all these different things, but, but the reality is, is that, um, it's for everybody, Christian, unsaved, whatever you believe, that's what your reality is. 
Okay. And so they picked up on this, this uh, law, this spiritual law that what I believe is what will manifest as reality. And so I need to change what I believe. And so there's this idea, I've got to, how do I change what I believe? I've got to man, I've got to meditate. I've got to repeat, you know, uh, whatever it is that I want, you know, like David saying, there are no such thing as giants. There are no such thing. How do, <laughs> how does one change what they believe? If I could change what I believe, then I can have whatever I want. That's what Jesus is saying here. And that's what has been known. What people don't realize, uh, I was praying about this, and this is a revelation here. Changing what you believe is one of the easiest things to do. So easy. Think about the last time you changed your belief on something. Maybe it was political. Maybe it was uh, uh, religious. You believed one way. And then you started believing something else. All right. What did you have to do to change that belief? Did you have to meditate for several days? Did you have to repeat? I believe this way instead a hundred times before you did. No, it was, it was the easiest thing in the world. It was instantaneous. The only thing you had to do is convince yourself. Beliefs are based on what our lives experience have showed us and what we've convinced ourselves all the way down our, our wills and our emotions all the way down at the, at the bottom level. Okay. That's where our beliefs come from. And that's why if you lived your whole life, believing that mountains do not respond to what I say, it's very hard to change that belief. And so the only way that you could really truly change that belief is by adding God to the equation. Otherwise, it's impossible. You can't, you can't change your beliefs unless you add God to the equation. That's why Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty four. He gives them the law of faith, which is whosoever, that's anybody, says to this mountain, says to their circumstance, be this way, and if you believe it, it will be so. That's the law. And then he says in verse 24, therefore, when you pray... To God, believe that you receive and you shall have. These are two separate things. The first, he's saying the law. Second, he's saying, if you, therefore, if you want to have control over what you believe, you need to bring God into the equation. You need to ask the one who created the heavens and the earth. That's the only foundation that your beliefs can rest on to where you could convince yourself to believe that mountains can be moved. So bring that belief in and, and certainly don't let your beliefs, your confessions, what you speak contradict what you're praying. Don't let Mark eleven twenty three 23 contradict Mark eleven twenty four. line those two up. So don't be praying, God, would you please heal the cancer? God, would you please bring the breakthrough? And then you come out of your prayer closet and you say something else and you believe something else. Well, the doctor said, I'm going to die. Well, the doctor said it's no good. Well, the, the situation's just getting worse by the day. He's saying, here's the law. It works for everyone, no matter what. Therefore, use it in your prayer life. 
don't contradict these things. You're going to run into issue if you cross wires on these things. And finally, the last thing he says is if you have any odd against anyone, go get, go make it right because love is the biggest foundation on which this thing works. Love is the force behind this thing. So I want to go through some common misconceptions about Mark eleven twenty three. I just said a mouthful. I know there's questions. I'm going to go through some of the common misconceptions. Number one, some of these we've talked through already. Number one, it's just for Christians. No, it's not. Jesus said, whosoever. Whenever you see the term whosoever, if Jesus says whosoever or whatsoever, that's a law. That means it's a law. It's like gravity. It works for everyone. He's explaining a law, a spiritual law. Okay. It applies to whosoever, not just, he didn't say whosoever has been saved for 10 years and gone to Bible school and has read and prayed an hour straight every day can say to this mountain, no, it works for everybody. Okay. Whether you believe it is or not, every human has that, that sovereignty. And most people don't realize that this is happening right now. We've talked about this before. You have exactly what you say. You have exactly what you want. And I'm talking about, I could give some examples. I'm talking about uh, science here, psychological science. You will never act different from what you believe about yourself. That's why people win the lottery and end up broke two years down the road because they believed about themselves that they were broke. Whereas somebody who's, who's rich and they believe that they're rich, they could go bankrupt several times. They'll bounce back each time. Okay. It's the same thing. Hypothetically, if you were to open up all the, door, the, the doors to the jails in all the world, say, get out a jail free card all across the world. Everybody's let out. Within a year, probably 90% of them would be right back in there, okay? Because there's mindsets that we're dealing with. There's core beliefs. What you, Jesus said, what you believe manifests. It's your reality. It happens. That's why Jesus, that, that's why all throughout the Bible, God deals with who a person is and what they believe about them first and foremost. That's the first thing he does is he changes your name. He changes your identity. He changes how you look about your, uh, at yourself. He changes how you see yourself. Because that's going to get you through any circumstance. You always regress or progress to the means of what you believe about yourself. Okay? So number two, misconception about Mark eleven twenty three, It only works for the good things that you desire, all right? It only works for the good that you want good things. This is how it's talking about you get good things, but it doesn't work for the bad thing. Nobody wants bad things, no. To illustrate, get this now, to illustrate how this law works, Jesus curses something and it dies, okay? It works good or bad, blessing or curse, all across the board. Whether you believe it's working or not, it is working. It's a law. 
third misconception, Mark eleven twenty three. It is synonymous with prayer. Nope. It's not synonymous with prayer. We've already talked about this. I know Mark eleven twenty three is the law. It applies to everybody, praying or not. Verse 24 is when he talks about prayer. Therefore, when you pray, therefore means different ideas, separation between what was being talked about before. Therefore, when you pray, believe that you receive. It's two separate topics, okay? So be sure that your prayers align with this extremely powerful law. Common objections for Mark eleven twenty three. I'm not done yet. We're still going. All right. Common objections for Mark eleven twenty three. You're telling me that whatever I desire believes it shapes my reality. No. Are you kidding me? What about the Jews? They didn't desire and believe for the Holocaust. What are you kidding me? You can't tell me that I have exactly what I want in my life in every single area. There's lots of things that I didn't want. What about that? What about the Jews? They didn't desire, they didn't will, they didn't, where you want to put it, attract to themselves the Holocaust. Well, no, they didn't attract the Holocaust, but there were a group, a large, large group of people that had swastikas on their shoulder, and they did. And they believed that they received, and they conspired, and they covenanted with one another, and they focused on it. And it reached the very bottom of their heart to make it happen. What I'm saying is that you're so powerful that it affects other people. We think, oh, it only affects me. No, it affects everybody. You could affect the, the power that you have could definitely affect other people for the good or for the worst. Every war that's been out there. See, let, let, me, let me just stop right here and, and, and say this. If you want to know, this is so controversial, you got to hear me through. If you want to know the highest things of God, the most powerful things in the spirit realm of God, if you want to know what the highest things are, then look at the highest things of the devil. Because the devil, hear me out on this. Don't just stop right there. Don't just end the quote right there, okay? Because the devil is only interested in ripping off and counterfeiting the things that have power. And all the power has been here all along in the word of God. God gave it to us. And the devil comes along and he, he, he doesn't have any of his own power. He's powerless. He knows that there's things in the spirit realm, though, that he could grab onto. And every single thing that he uses at a high level, the highest things of the devil, I could show you exactly how they are counterfeit ripoffs of the, power, the most powerful stuff of God. Let me give you some example like blood sacrifice. You think that's in the Bible? Is there power in blood sacrifice? I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest things that Jesus came to do is be the atonement be the lamb, the perfect lamb that was slain. You see how the devil uses all these things like, uh, like, uh, just uh, things like out-of-body experiences, 
there's many prophets and, and apostles and, of, of God that have had those things. Uh, necromancy, curses, spells, covenants, meditations, teletransportations. I could show you how God used every single one of those things for his purpose in the scripture and also how the devil tried to do the same thing and twists it and try, because he knows there's power in those things. He's not interested in the things that don't have power. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so, one of the biggest things, we overlook this so much, one of the biggest things of power is the power and covenant when we come together in agreement two or three is touching is is gathering thing two to three gathered together is touching something in agreement in covenant saying we're moving forward in this direction we are proclaiming we are declaring we are there's so much power in that so much power it's no wonder why the devil uses that stuff uses all these secret societies of nazis and we you know starts wars this way. It's powerful. They know that there's power in that. They know that there's a lot that they could do. Common objections for Mark 11.23, number, number two. Mark 11.23 is a metaphor. You can't change reality. It is what it is. What you believe has no bearing on reality with just a few exceptions, okay? Look, it's real. You could control, if you could control what you believe, you could literally change the universe. This didn't originate in Eastern religion. This is right in the Bible. And just because it's been counterfeited many times doesn't mean that we should be shoving it aside. We should be the masters at this. One thing I want to bring up, and this is... <laughs> This is key. This is foundation here. You could disagree with me if you want to on this, but I've got to bring this up. The term supernatural is not scriptural. That makes sense. You won't find it anywhere in the Bible. Okay. Now, what is in the Bible is the term signs, wonders, miracles. Okay. But all of those things point towards our reaction to it as not knowing what's going on, okay? In other words, the sign wonder literally means, I wonder what just happened. We don't know what's going on. Doesn't mean that it's magic. Doesn't mean that God is breaking his own laws of his universe in order to perform a miracle for us. That Sometimes that's what we think. And that's what the word supernatural has come to take on. It's come to mean magic, you know? Well, God's going to perform magic because of my prayer. No, I believe that everything that God does from parting a Red Sea to raising somebody from the dead, it's all within the laws that he's established all the way back from the beginning. He doesn't suspend the laws of his own universe that he created by his own decree. That would make him a liar, essentially. Everything that happens is within the confines of what he's already set in motion. 
We just haven't discovered those laws yet. Okay? We just haven't discovered those laws. And Jesus is telling us left and right about how these laws work. Are we listening? You see, we think that when we get saved, is it? Let me let me just ask you this: When will you get saved? Does Jesus go to the cross all over again, afresh, right there? From the, no, it happened two thousand years ago. It's established. It's it's once. It's done. Andrew Womack, you already have it. <laughs> it's already done. There needs to be a what you would call a what's the chemical term for it? A uh, uh, a catalyst to bring it about. It's already there, but there needs to be a catalyst. It's a law that's established, but there needs to be another law that overrides it. As Romans 8.2 says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is established just the same as it's always been all along. Just like gravity, it's always been there all along. But flight came along and overrode it, okay? Mankind never thought that we would fly up until about 100 years ago, right? We thought it was impossible. We called it signs, wonders, and miracles, all right? It was science. The further along we go, the further we, we realize that this stuff is science. It's laws that were built into the spirit realm all along. We just didn't understand it. And we don't need to understand it. We trust God, all right? But this stuff happens the way it, it needs to happen. We've got to get in line with what God says. We get out and we try something. He's talking about laws and we try something and it doesn't work. And we think, well, God must have been lying when he said, Jesus must have been lying when, when he said that. Let me ask you something, Aaron, Mr. Aviator here. A Boeing 747, it's got to get up to 155 miles per hour to get that 400,000 pounds off the runway before the pilot pulls back, okay? If you made, it's very carefully engineered. If you made the, the wings, say, like 20 feet less on both sides and added a couple hundred thousand more pounds to it, would you expect it to, when you pull back on it, would you expect it to take off? No. It's very precise. It's a very precise thing. We can't expect that we, we take a step out and it doesn't work and we think it just doesn't work. He's very precise what he says. And listen to what he says here. Okay? This is a very precise model. He says, Whosoever says to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea and believes those things that he says will be done, then he'll have whatever he says. Well, God doesn't move mountains anymore. Well, how many people are looking at them, speaking at them, and believing in their heart? It's a very precise formula. And how, how, how often do we come short of that and expect results? And we don't get the results. And you could have results. And Jesus is very clear and plain about it, simple and plain. 
Number three, common objections from Mark eleven twenty three. I'm about to wrap up here, I promise. Third objection, if this were real, wouldn't I have known about it by now? I've lived my whole life. I didn't, I didn't think this. How can, uh, how can I, like, like almost everybody else, how could I have lived my whole life not, not realizing this, if this is true? Uh, I am convinced that this law of faith is so powerful in shaping your reality that if you don't believe in it, if you simply believe that it's random chance, then for you it will appear to be random chance and luck of the draw. According to your faith, be it unto you. Okay? Good or bad, right or wrong, embracing what, what you have, you will have what you say. If you don't believe that this works, your beliefs are so powerful that for you, it won't work. <laughs> it's that all-encompassing. Laws work, okay? And when we're talking about spiritual laws, it gets really, really into this place where it's, uh, I mean, you look at the, the physical laws, the laws of physics and, you know, inertia and motion and gravity and all that stuff. It's so complex. <laughs> You've got all these layers and all these different, I mean, books this thick that people have, have spent years of their lives blazing the trail on this knowledge. And you think that the spirit realm is any less complex. There's many, many different layers to these laws and how they work. And Jesus is telling us how they work, telling us how to step into these things. Are we listening? Or would, do we think that we could just put together a plane that's not quite up to specs and expect it to fly? <laughs> Ultimately, Lord, do you want to um, have a sign with her, you know, as this? This means come up and play keys for me, Laura. You know, you go back, you want to know what these laws of faith are. Go back. I'm going to do this sometime. I'm going to teach about the laws of the spirit found in Genesis 1 through 3. They're all found there. All of those laws are found in there. All the way back from the beginning. Every single law of the spirit is set in motion because that's the way that God meant for it to be from the beginning. And then when sin came in, God didn't remove all these laws. He put a few inhibitors. He cursed the soil. He cursed childbearing. He, he cursed the, the serpent, took away all his power. That's why he's, he's so power hungry, running around trying to manipulate everybody because he has no power of his own. But these inhibitors, they're inhibitors. That's all they are. Okay, do you know that even when God curses us, it's for our ultimate benefit? You know that? I mean, these inhibitors that he, he brought out, it's ultimately it's for our good. And here's the thing, even when the devil blesses you, it's ultimately not for your good, okay? You could trust God that much. The wounds of a friend are to be trusted more than the kisses of an enemy, okay? 
So as we teach the laws of faith, please remember this. I want you to, you know, I'm teaching about laws. It's the way that things are. And it's based on your beliefs. And I, I want you to come to this belief more than anything else out there is that God's mercy trumps laws. Okay. Everything that is every spiritual law that's been set into motion, God's mercy overreaches that. His mercy overrides that. There's a system of balance and justice in the universe, but mercy overcomes justice. It's a law. There's laws and then there's higher laws. Guess what the highest one is? God's mercy, his love for us, his never-ending unconditional love for us is the highest law that trumps them all. So I want you to see that. I know that the life that we're living day to day, it appears to be so much bigger at the ground level. But if we could just step up into heaven, get up at the million high, mile high view a million years from now and gain that perspective and see God has a bigger plan for us. He wants us. His desire is that we have his faith that we are creators. You know, in Genesis chapter two, after God created man, it says that he brought all the animals to him to see what he might call them. See, God does all the work. He brings you to your situation because he's interested to see what are you going to say about it? What are you going to call it? What are you going to proclaim about it? What does this situa situation mean to you? How are you going to interpret it? Okay. He brought Abraham to the promised land. He says, what are you going to call? What, what, what are you going to say? What are you going to call it? What are you going to do? Abraham is the one that said, this is great, God, but I want my descendants to have this. I want a son. You, did you know that Israel, the nation of Israel, was Abraham's idea? It's Abraham's idea. God brought it to him, and he's he's like, I want to see what he's gonna call it, what he's going to name it, what he's gonna proclaim over it. I've given him power. I want to see how he uses it. That's how Abraham used it. God brought the 12 spies into the promised land to spy out the land. He wanted to see what they would say about it, what they would call it, what they would proclaim, how they would name it, what they would do. We all know the story. Two of them had a good report. Ten of them didn't. And guess what? Every single one of them got exactly what they said. The things that they believed and the things they spoke, the two that said it's ours, they entered in. The ten that didn't died in the wilderness. God wants to see what do you call it? What do you make of it? I've given you creative power. What are you going to do with it? A verse that the Lord had kept on putting on my heart this week is this. He says, my Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool 
for your feet. That's Psalms 110. Now, what's so amazing about this verse is that, first off, what he's saying is the things that are your enemies right now are things that are going to be your footstool later. What do you use a footstool for? You use it to reach higher. You put it down to stand on to reach something higher, right? That's your footstool. He's saying the things that are your enemies are going to be things that are going to take you higher later on. And until then, all you've got to do is rest. Rest in my place of favor. My Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemy. I'm going to do all the work. See, God does all the work. He brings it to you and says, what are you going to call it? Because the truth is, I'm going to do it. Trust in me. Rely on me. Bring me into the picture. My mercy triumphs over all of it. Can you see that? Do you receive that? I'm going to lay down the trump card and the things that are your enemies. What are your enemies? There's many different types of enemies. There's spiritual enemies, there's physical enemies. You know, the time that this was written, David probably had a literal sword in his hand going out to battle. There's literal enemies, there's spiritual enemies, principalities and powers, and then there's the enemies that are inside your own strongholds, in your own ways of thinking, in your own ways of believing, changing the way that you believe. You know, there's, there's many places in the Bible where it's synonymous where the enemies of the devil and the demons and the enemies of your own strongholds, ways of thinking are, are very synonymous. It's your own ways of thinking that need to be, that need to change. And that's why the devil is getting a foothold. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so God said, all of those things, all those enemies, they're going to be put under your feet. They're going to be things that are going to take you higher after I'm done with them. You just sit back and rest in me. 